Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Alma Katsu, author of the new novel, The Fervor. Alma Katsu's books have received starred reviews from Publishers Weekly, Booklist, and Library Journal. They've been featured in the New York Times and Washington Post and have been nominated and won multiple prestigious awards and appeared on numerous best books lists, including NPR, The Observer, Barnes and Noble, Apple Books, Goodreads, and Amazon. Locust Magazine wrote about her new novel, The Fervor, an absolute must-read, a triumph that thrills and entertains. And also, I interviewed Alma years ago on the podcast, and you can listen to that podcast, which was episode 74, if you look back at the archives on any of the podcast apps. Alma, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Boy, that, that introduction, it sounds, it doesn't sound like me. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Well, I'm curious if someone listening hasn't yet heard about your novel, The Fervor, how would you describe the novel? Well, it's my third historical horror, and it looks at the Japanese internment. And, and like the previous two historical horrors, it's going to combine elements of actual history but it's telling a different story. And in this case, it's really looking at what happened then and unfortunately what's happening now in America. Um, uh, basically, there's four narrators, but it the main one is a Japanese-American woman, uh, Mako Briggs, whose husband is a flyer in, in um, the Army Air Force. You know, he, he signed up after Pearl Harbor like many, many American guys did. Uh, but that meant she was sent to a Japanese internment camp. So while her husband's flying in the Pacific theater, uh, she and her daughter are in the, um, uh, I'm sorry, (laughs) my brain just like blipped out, Minidoka camp, um, which was in Idaho. And um, there she notices there's a strange disease, this illness that's sweeping through the camp and affecting not only the inmates, but also the guards. And she decides to investigate uh, further. And that's when the mystery takes off. And I'm curious, do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write The Fervor? Well, you know, it was one of those things that was always in the back of my mind because uh, I'm Japanese-American and my husband's Japanese-American and his family wasn't turned. And and so this was uh, an historic event that we knew a lot about. And one of the things I've learned writing these historicals um, is that, you know, what most of us learn about a particular event is like an iceberg, right? We're only seeing the 10% that people tend to, to say over and over again. But it's that 90 set, 90% that's kind of hidden that's the most interesting. And so I always knew, uh, because we were so familiar with what had happened during the internment, um, I always knew there was a great story there. So I was really happy to have the opportunity to tell it. And I'm curious, what kind of research did you do as you were preparing to write The Fervor? Well, funny thing is, unlike the previous two historicals, The Hunger and the Deep, I actually didn't have to do a ton of research on this book because I had already done it like 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Um, You know, the interesting thing about the internment is that a lot of um, the people who went through the, the event 
really don't like to talk about it. And, and that's not so uncommon. I was talking to someone who's very familiar with the Holocaust, for instance. And, you know, it's the same is true there that a lot of the folks that actually went through the Holocaust don't like to talk about it. So that meant my husband and I had to learn a lot more about it by watching documentaries, you know, reading up on it. And that's what we did. And that's when we learned all of the nuances about, you know, what were the actual causes behind um, the executive order that sent 120,000 people of Japanese heritage uh, into the camps, uh, you know, in the very isolated areas of the United States. And I'm, I'm curious, I mean, um, if we could go back for a moment, what was your uh, initial writing journey that led you to sit down and write and get your first novel published? And I'm curious, were you someone who knew at an early age that you wanted to be a writer? Yes, um, which I think is common for a lot of writers. And, you know, it's funny to think of all the different types of books I've written in the 11 years that I've been in publishing. But it all started, um, yeah, decades and decades ago when I was a little kid, you know, like a lot of writers, I was an introvert and I spent a lot of my time reading and in the library. And I think because books were what gave me so much pleasure and books were what I knew, I always wanted to be a writer, but this was a long time ago. And this was like pre-internet age. And it wasn't so easy to know how one becomes a writer. So I ended up going into another line of work. I ended up going into intelligence, which uh, in addition to being really interesting, uh, however, they don't really like you to work outside your field. They don't like you to get your name out there. So I actually stopped writing fiction for a long time. And it wasn't until I was 40 that I went back to trying my hand at it. It took 10 years of writing every day and really applying myself to it to finally come up with a, a manuscript that was saleable. And that was The Taker, which was published when I was 51 years old. <laughs> and since then, I've written a variety of books. Um, you know, the, the truth is that a lot of times you might, as a writer, you might have to adjust what you're writing in order to get a contract because tastes change in books and they certainly changed over the 10 plus years that I've been writing. So, you know, they, I started out with that trilogy, which was sort of um, more in the fantasy realm, fantasy slash paranormal. And then as that was sort of ebbing off, uh, I made the transition to writing what's really considered sort of literary horror it's very character-driven horror, and so far all three of them have um, had a huge historical component. But last year, I also got the opportunity to write my first spy thriller, uh, Red Widow. So, yeah, I'm really diversifying there. <laughs> well, I, I'm curious, what led you to writing historical horror novels? Well, you know, it's funny. The three fantasy books also have a heavy... Um, history component to them. It's just that the historical part really isn't leading. It's not entirely set within a historical period. It's got a little bit of a it's sort of a time travel element to it. So it jumps in and out of history. The characters' lives spanned, it spanned about 250 years. And I just love that. Even though I don't consider myself a huge history buff, um, I partly attribute it to growing up in a very historical area. I grew up near Concord, Massachusetts, which is just like completely soaked in American revolutionary history. You can't get away from it. And I, I think it just, you know, kind of put my mind in that direction. But then, sure. um, 
I got the opportunity to write The Hunger. And I should be clear, those, the, those three books, The Hunger, The Deep, and The Fervor, I write with partners. And, um, you know, so we came up with this concept that we were going to write about a particular historical event, but kind of reimagine it with this historical lens. I mean, sorry, horror lens. So we, we you know, the books ask the question, you know, what if? What if, for instance, uh, in the case of The Hunger, what if, you know, the Donner Party was actually sort of being haunted or trailed by by this horrific element? Uh, same thing in the, the Deep. It was about the Titanic. And now with the fervor, you know, an attempt to sort of explain the really terrible systemic racism that, uh, you know, was the cause uh, that led us to the internment camps. And I'd be happy to walk you through that analysis if anyone's interested. But, um, you know, what if there was something more to it? Sure. And are you planning other historical horror novels? That's a great question. Um, Because while they have their readers and they've gotten really great critical review and I can't complain about the hunger. It's done really well with, you know, popularly it's, it's sold a lot of books and it's been translated in, into a lot of different languages. And we've come really close twice now to getting it picked up for a movie or a TV series. Um, you know, I'm not sure that it's, it's the best match right now for horror, mm-hmm. uh, Horror readers seem to really like contemporary stories a little bit more. I do have a short story coming out with Amazon original stories at the end of September, which is another historical horror. It's called The Werewolf, and it has to do with the Nazis' fascination for occultism and um, spiritual, like, and folk tales that mm-hmm. that have that horror bent. So um, I'm hoping that people will find that interesting. It was really a lot of fun to write. And again, it has a little bit of a social justice aspect to it. It's really about militias, which is um, genocides and atrocities were one of the things I worked on when I was an intelligence analyst. I know that's kind of a wild thing to wrap your head around. And militias are always a big part of of um, that kind of social upheaval. So I was really thrilled to get the opportunity to write a story about it. Sure. So do you think that you'll be writing more espionage novels like The Red Widow? Well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of greedy and I'm hoping to have it all. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's a tough sell for your writers out there who are listening. Um, I know a lot of writers really like to write in multiple genres, but only a few are able to actually do it. And it's not because they can't pull off the book. But it's the marketing end that's so hard. It's really, really hard to not confuse your readers. You know, and people who tend to like one genre may not necessarily enjoy the other genre that you're writing in. So you can't always convince them to cross over and follow you. And it's it's just turned out to be a lot harder than, than I thought. So even though Red Widow is, um, it's done really well. It got a lot of critical acclaim. It was nominated for Best Thriller of the Year by International Thriller Writers. And we are in development still with Fox for a TV series. It's, it's not entirely clear. There is going to be a second book in the series coming out next spring, Red London which deals with the oligarchs in London right now, which I think the British always knew were going to be a problem, but what with Russia's attack on Ukraine, it's really kind of come to a head. And so I was really fortunate to have written this book before all that happened. So it's going to be very timely, timely book. 
Um, and I'm experimenting with a couple other ideas, but um, yeah, the certain uh, right at this moment, my future as to what's next is a little uncertain. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. <laughs> gotcha. Well, what was your writing process when you were working on the fervor? Um, are you someone who writes a detailed outline before you begin writing the first page? Um, I've really gravitated towards being that way. And part of it is with the partners that I have for the historical horror novels, our process to pitch it to the publisher is to provide a fairly detailed proposal which pretty much steps you through how we envision the book to go. That's not to say that we're bound to it because as we write it, invariably <laughs> things come up that we realize it would be a better story if we dropped something and added another element or changed things up a little bit. But it is how I get started. And usually with the proposal, we end up sending up to a hundred pages, the first 100 pages of the book. So it's a pretty involved process. Right. And I, I think I ended up doing something fairly similar for Red Widow, but also because both these types of books are so complex, I really need a, sure. sort of a, a map to help get me through it. And I take copious notes and chart out all kinds of things that are somewhat scary to folks. <laughs> <laughs> well, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories or novels? Well, you know, you can't go wrong with the classics, right? Which is read, 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 read a lot. I'm I'm surprised sometimes when I run into people who tell me they want to write stories or write a novel, but they don't read. Um, that just seems like it would make the journey twice as hard. Um, and I really recommend that you read outside of your genre. Certainly, with, if you're a genre writer, read within it. But it's always a good idea, especially to read like, uh, you know, popular new books that are coming out that are getting, uh, generating a lot of excitement. You know, it's always good to sort of stay on top of what's current because trends do change and tastes change in publishing. So that's the big one. 
Uh, I'm one of those folks that writes every day. I, I do think you should if you can, because it's a bit like muscle, at least for me and for a lot of people I've talked to. It's like being an athlete. You know, you develop the sort of muscle memory that just makes it easier to stay in the groove. And I understand not everybody can do it. You know, some people are really strapped for time. But, you know, if you can just come up with a schedule where you can commit to to writing as frequently as you can and see if you can't enlist your family members to help you out there. That's one area that I've been really lucky, and my husband's been very understanding. That's great. Well, what books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Gosh, there's so many. So one of the things that um, I shouldn't complain about, um, but it keeps me from reading a lot for pleasure is that, you know, I'm just really lucky to be in this position where I get asked to blurb a lot. So I, I read books that sometimes might not seem, you know, analogous to the types of things I read. But I think that's an indication probably, too, of how much cross-genre is going on out there right now in publishing. So one book I read recently that I really enjoyed was by Jean Hanif uh, Korlitz. It's The Latecomer. Mm-hmm. She's, you know, she's written women's fiction and she's written books that could be considered thrillers, but the latecomer is really more straight literary. And, um, you know, it's like a family saga. So if like, if you enjoy Jonathan Franzen's freedom, you'd probably love this book. It's about, um, a couple, um, who have, uh, triplets because of IVF and miraculously all three, um, fertilized eggs survive. And it follows um, the tribulations of this family. It's really just so well done. And, and I really recommend that to anyone who, who just wants to have a good read and, and really a good read to dissect if they're a writer. I also just finished a, a book that's coming out. I don't know when it's coming out. It's a translation by a Danish writer whose first name is Maria and her last name begins with Hessel. It's Hesselleiter or something like that. But the title is definitely First Comes Summer. And it's, um, it's sort of horror. It's very psychological and it has to do with myths and it's set in the Viking times. And what makes it completely fascinating is the ending. I mean, it's a great story to study if you're a writer because everything that happens leading up to the ending, it kind of makes sense, but it really just clicks when you read that ending. So it was really a masterfully written book. And another book I I would encourage people to keep an eye out, it's coming out any day now, is Gabino Iglesias' latest book, The Devil Takes You Home. Now, I'll warn you up front, it is very violent, but, you know, a lot of people are okay with violence, including me. And um, it's just a superb book. And it's it's a thriller, but it's definitely considered horror. As a matter of fact, it has one of the um, most original horror elements uh in the book that i've seen like the only original horror element i've seen for years it's just a a great book and i hope hope your listeners will check it out wow that sounds all of those sound great uh well where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your novels the best way is to sign up for my newsletter so if you go to my website which is my name almakatsubooks.com you'll get a pop-up And the reason I recommend the newsletter is twofold. One is, you know, social media changes, a a platform changes their algorithm and suddenly, you know, unless you're buying ads, your posts don't come up. So the best way is to follow me through the newsletter. And also because I give away books every month, not only my books, I'll give away hot books that are are coming up and 
give out a lot of recommendations. So I'd really appreciate if people go to my website and sign up for the newsletter. Thanks for asking. Absolutely. Well, again, we've been speaking with Alma Katsu, author of the new novel, The Fervor. The novel is available now, so go buy a copy. And Alma, thanks for doing this interview. Oh, thank you so much for having me back. Absolutely. Camp Minidoka, Idaho. The big truck lumbered slowly through the camp gates. The ruts in the dirt road, making its wide body roll like a sway-backed cow. Something unusual about it caught Mako Briggs' eye. Trucks came to the internment camp all the time to make deliveries, but they were always civilian. This one was painted a dull olive green and tattooed with U.S. Army and strings of white numbers all over its flanks. The cargo bed was tented. Mako had been walking her daughter Aiko to school that morning when the truck arrived. Her eye followed it down one of the rarely used roads toward a big barn. No internees beyond this point, the sign read. Most of the buildings at Minidoka were used by camp residents, but that one was the domain of the administrators. Lately, there had been a padlock on the doors. Guards stood waiting to close those doors as soon as the truck pulled in. They didn't want anyone to see what was inside. She could not help but wonder what that was about. The military had not bothered with the camp before. The gate to the camp swung shut too, though Mako could barely see the need. It might as well stand open, and it wasn't as though it was ever locked. The executive order that had forced her and the other 10,000 residents to Minidoka two years ago was on the verge of being rescinded. That the residents would be freed from their prison was the talk of the camp lately. A few residents were making plans to leave. Prematurely, some grumbled, but most were not. Even as they followed the drama being played out in the Supreme Court, the residents of Minidoka were quiescent. What kept them in the bare-board dormitories, overstuffed in tiny, dust-filled, lice-infested rooms, was more powerful than guards with rifles. It was fear of what was beyond the fence, the hatred of their fellow American citizens. They'd all heard stories of Japanese returning to their hometowns, only to be threatened, then beaten if they didn't leave. Not to mention finding their homes and businesses bought out from under them. There were cases where neighbors with whom they'd left belongings, neighbors who had promised to save it all until this had blown over, had instead sold out, deciding that the rightful owners would never return. Friends and neighbors had turned their backs on them in three short years. The change was chilling. The appearance of the truck was unusual enough for Aiko to notice, too. She watched with her whole body, it seemed, even rising to her tiptoes to get a better look as it disappeared. This was not a good sign. The girl had been acting more and more strange lately, seemingly frightened by everything. Not unexpected for a child who had been through as much as Aiko had, living two years in what was no better than a concentration camp, her father off fighting in a war. Lately, however, it had gotten almost too much to deal with. Nightmares, bizarre stories, claiming to hear voices and see apparitions. Nothing to worry about. All kids go through it, Mrs. Tanaka had told Mako one afternoon, as they had been hanging their wash on the line. It's a phase, you'll see. Mako hoped her neighbor was right. What are you looking at? 
The voice beside them was as sharp as the point of a bayonet. With a pang of concern, Mako recognized the speaker. He was called Wallaby, or something like that. As a rule, the guards didn't share their names. None of the residents liked this one. He would pull his eyelids sideways and throw slurs at them in a sing-song voice, called them Little Yellow Men. He plainly thought the residents were inferior, not just different from whites, but altogether lacking somehow. Since coming to America, Mako had come to see that this notion was pure nonsense. It wasn't as though the belief that one race was superior to all others was alien to her. It wasn't, because Japanese were raised to believe that they were better than others. But in Japan, where there was effectively only one race, one people, you could at least see how that notion had happened. Whereas America was made up of so many different kinds of people, you'd think they'd have gotten used to each other by now. How exhausting it must be here to hate everyone who was different. She knew better than to say this to the guard, however. We're going. She noticed that guards were prodding other residents who had stopped to look at the army truck, too, telling them to move along. What made the truck more notable was that there had been an influx of government people lately, too. They'd started arriving at the camp a few weeks earlier, and it was obvious that these men weren't locals. They seemed more sophisticated. They dressed better than the Idahoans were better spoken. They came in fancy new cars, at a time when it was hard to get one because production had been halted for the war effort. If they'd made the trip special, then obviously they had come to Minidoka for a reason. But that was a mystery. They avoided the residents and were escorted by camp officials who, when asked, said the men were just accountants sent to make sure that the camp was being run efficiently. How would they explain that truck? Mako wondered. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.